0: Welcome back to the Basecamp Community Coachcast, hosted by your head coaches, Tim Cusick and me, Namarita Brooke. We here discuss timely topics related to our group training program that you can apply to get the most out of your 16 weeks. I'm Namarita Brooke, the Basecamp coach and sports nutritionist. I've been coaching for over 10 years. I have a PhD in applied exercise physiology and a master's in sports nutrition, and I'm also a registered dietitian.
1: My name is Tim Cusick. I'm the other head coach here at Basecamp. I've been coaching for over 18 years and I've had the privilege of guiding athletes to numerous national and world championships and to the Olympics. And I'm uh, stoked to be here today.
0: Yes, Tim, I I'm glad because today this is a topic that is very near and dear to your heart. So I think mostly it's going to (laughs) be you, uh, just spreading all your knowledge and experience onto the rest of us. Um, we're talking about training metrics so training load and the performance manager chart. I know you have obviously a lot of um, background in creating you know these um, tools. And so I think we can all learn a lot today. Um, we have several listener questions, but I want to just kind of take a moment. you know we've talked a lot about the stress strain adaptation model. Um, in training. So, you know, we have a stress that's applied to our bodies or the system and our, our system then experiences some sort of strain and response to that neutral stress. And then through that process, we eventually adapt depending on lots of factors. Um, But that's kind of the point, like our bodies, our systems are complicated and it's not, It's not so simple because we're not just training you know one day here and there or one day a week we have these training plans that we're following that are designed in a specific way to um elicit a specific response depending on you know maybe it's different for you versus me or whoever else um so let's start it there let's start it you know what are we doing with training and this Mm. like continuum
1: that's a great question. We've been talking so much in base camp, you know, with our members about stress and strain relationship, and we've moved into training stress scoring of our daily workouts. And that's a start. But that's the measurement of a workout or exercise, right? So let's compartmentalize that. Let's just put that on the shelf for the moment. Let's talk about what we're really doing. Let's go back to a big picture. We are on a journey a fitness journey so when we think about training we are x amount fit let's call that down here we haven't been doing a lot of exercise let's just say we've been sitting on the couch having some fun for a couple months and we make a decision to achieve something i want to win this big local championship this big local race whatever that is we have to take our fitness and performance and conditioning from down here to up here Mm -hmm. and that's a journey of training That's putting a bunch of exercises together, right? To get from where we are today to some improved status of the future, capable of achieving our goals. That's training. And what's funny is we'll mix these thoughts together, a workout or exercise one day. And we think the relationship from from where we're at today to where we're going is linear. Mm -hmm. If I take one step today, tomorrow's the step, and I'm just stepping up. And I'm just stepping from down here to up there. And I just keep doing that. But I want to give you an example. And for our listeners <clears throat> to help think this out a little differently, because training is not exercise in my definition. It's not a workout. It's something bigger. It's, it's, it is that journey defined. So let's take a, uh, an example, Joe or Jane Ryder. We're going to call them Ryder. So let's say Ryder, you know, is kind of reasonably fit, but for six months hasn't been doing anything. They're just hanging out sort of on their couch, but walking and doing another. So they're okay, right? They're just in okay shape. One day they decide they are going to win that big local race. I'm going to stand on the podium. Great. So Ryder decides Monday to start exercising. I'm going to start working out and get ready for this. I'm going to start training for this journey of improvement to achieve my goal. So they wake up Monday morning and they jump on their bike and they ride three hours as hard as they can. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, riders pretty strong. They do some great work and they generate, I don't know, let's call it 200 training stress points, 200 TSS, right? So that's a pretty hard day, 200 TSS. That's money in the bank. Monday, bam, thumbs up. They did a really good workout. They wake up Tuesday morning and they're still motivated. You know, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm still on my journey. They jump on their bike to do the same thing. I need another good workout. And like five minutes in there, they're, I can't hit numbers. I can't make power. I'm too tired. My motivation is waning and everything goes wrong. And 15, 20 minutes in they're heading back home. Like I can't do this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What happened to Ryder? right? I want everybody to think about this as we think about training, because, Initially, what you think is, if I do that strong workout on Monday, come Tuesday morning, the question rider needs to ask themselves is, am I more fit? Because the often assumption we make is, I did one good workout. I must be more fit. I'll do more. So I get fitter. And actually, what happened to rider on Tuesday is, no, they are not more fit actually what they were, was a lot more fatigued. Mm -hmm. See, when we think about moving from an individual exercise to a series of exercise placed in a very rhythmic order to be training to drive Mm -hmm. us through that journey, we have to understand that you're managing the delicate balance between fatigue and fitness. The more Mm -hmm. fit we get, the more fatigue we can manage. The struggle is something different, though. Well, it's, it's obviously that. But the bigger thing of making them work is fatigue. So we notice in our experience, rider was fine on Monday. They've been hanging out on the couch. They were OK. Tuesday, man, they were not any more fit. And they were highly fatigued. But let's say Ryder was pretty tough. So Ryder pushes through Tuesday and they do the same workout. Maybe this time they only get 190 TSS, right? But they still kind of get close and they just fight their way through it. On Wednesday, is Ryder any more fit? No, still not yet. And probably actually they're more fatigued. But Ryder's kind of stubborn. I'm going to do this again Wednesday because dang it, I must be getting more fit. And somehow they claw their way to the 200 TSS point. Is Ryder any more fit? No. They're just more fatigued, right? So we have to begin to think about this in the relationship of two time factors. When we exercise, when we execute a workout, we're dealing or creating or beginning two time-based processes. We have an acute series of responses. What happens to us the moment we're done with that workout and for a short window of time? And for discussion's sake, let's call that two weeks. 10 to 14 days, right? That's acute response to the exercises we do. And if rider keeps pounding away, trying to do 200 TSS, their very acute response is going to be a lot of fatigue with really no fitness adaptation. Mm -hmm. Because the reality is we also have to consider the chronic response, It takes time for us to adapt to exercise stress and strain, right, to the stimuli we introduce to the system. Fatigue is immediate, right, where fitness, ah, it's a little bit slower. The average human being adapts to exercise stimuli somewhere between four to eight weeks. The delicate balance you're managing in training is the acute response which is a fatigue response while you're waiting out the chronic response of fitness to come in and support your ability to counter that fatigue. So when you think about all great training, that journey from down here where you start to way up here, winning your big goal, a championship, whatever you're accomplishing, it's a journey of managing fitness and fatigue and understanding one of them are, is an acute response. And one is a chronic response. And that's the art and science of coaching is to put all of it together. We have a name for that. We call that performance management, mm-hmm. right? That sets up the whole idea of performance management chart. So long answer to a short question, but there is an example of what we're managing in the performance management chart or PMC. How can we better understand the, tra- the impact from training load, both in an acute and a chronic fashion?
0: Yeah. Wow. Um, so for someone who maybe doesn't have a coach, I mean, I, this is where I see a coach is super valuable because we as athletes, it is kind of hard to figure out. I mean, there's some athletes who are way more mentally tough or stubborn if you want to think about it that way and able to withstand way more fatigue than it is probably productive for them to do so so when you're thinking about like if you're so motivated to go get this goal and you're like you know just like the rider that you described like i am going i've got this time i am going to go out and ride my bike every single day do tempo every day or intervals every sweet spot every day um because you're so determined for, you know, a few weeks, like how this type of person really could benefit from an objective metric that like we're talking about here. Um, so what we're, yeah, what we're talking about is not necessarily like what you need to live by. It's, I think using it in combination with understanding perceived fatigue and how, it, how it, is involved in this whole big picture as we're trying to manage fitness versus fatigue.
1: Correct. So let's talk about two of the three key metrics in a performance management chart. And remember, this is a metric, a measurement of training load, and it's not a neat little linear line from down here to up here. We have two metrics, and now the naming might make more sense to you. We have acute training load, right, which is often named, and if you look at training peaks, they call it fitness or freshness, Um, I'm sorry, acute training load. In training peaks, they call it freshness or fatigue. They call it freshness, but fatigue is the opposing side. Um, And you have chronic training load, which they call fitness. But if you think about what the performance measurement, the original names, when we designed this whole idea of performance management was acute training load and chronic training load, because they represent the, the related but different response to exercise stimuli. What happens to us on an acute basis is not what happens to us on a chronic basis. Making these two different time-bound responses work together, that's the magic of coaching. That's Mm -hmm. the required guidance. You need a good understanding of the science, the response, how the body works, and all that stuff. But a good coach puts that together as art. Because if we think about the two things they measure, So acute training load is giving you insight into your fatigue or your freshness. When acute training load is high, your ATL, when it's high, you probably aren't performing as well. You aren't training as well because a high ATL is an indicator of possible change. Like, wow, this person's really fatigued. They're not going to hit their numbers like rider's experience. They would just wind down, right? Because at a high fatigue, the athlete is more volatile, more susceptible to workout failure, underperformance, everything else, because they're pretty freaking tired. Mm -hmm. But they need to get what work they can in, in the right schedule, right, in the right rhythm, because... They also at the same time fatigue is part of the process and managing the right balance and creating fatigue is part of the process because underneath that, you have this chronic response going on like a lot of people in base camp are already seeing the questions and I know hopefully this will help the answer you train for two, three weeks and you expect it to be maybe you expected to be much fitter reduce it takes four to eight weeks for the exercise to result in uh, maximum adaptation, the right adaptation. So think about the big challenge we did on Saturday. Like four to eight weeks is the average. Let's pick a number, six weeks right in the middle. You'll get the maximum benefit from that really hard work six weeks from Saturday. Not today. You didn't get it yesterday. You didn't get it the day before. As a matter of fact, all you got was the fatigue. And we felt that, right? Mm-hmm. So we need to wait. So understand that acute training load is giving us insight into the fatigue. That's high. We got to be careful. We don't want it to be too high, because then we're too tired to adapt. Mm -hmm. Our chronic training load is coming up slower. We want that load to increase, but not at the cost of a super high ATL or fatigue. It's a tricky management balance.
0: So you said too high. Like, give us some guidelines on like, is that a number? Is it a feeling? What are we looking for when we're managing? acute training load
1: you should never great question you should never manage to the number like the numbers will help us make better decisions so what i would challenge everybody to do right now like if you can remember in the last i don't know a couple of months even but you always want to be taking notes this is why we said make sure you're saying how you feel look when your atl line was high right you know do you remember how you were feeling there look at your performance For most of us, once we start going positive, it could be as low as positive 10. We all feel fatigue differently. It depends on our core fitness. It depends on our genetics. It depends on how uh, athletic, how it depends on our athletic maturity. So it's hard to pick a number. Anything over 10 can be driving some problems. Um, and maybe even lower, I mean, who knows? And you could be, you could be 30 if you're really fit and genetically sound and, and, and have good aerobic capacity and all those things. It's hard to pick a number, but your pattern is probably the same. Like you'll typically begin to fatigue out in the same general range of numbers. So whatever you normally kind of get into the the fatigue range that will hold pretty true for you. It'll change as you get fitter, but not dramatically um mm-hmm. so you have to find your number and that's part of the art of it and what we'll be working on in the next week or two as we teach the group more and more about using performance management
0: yeah that pattern is key I mean that's something I've noticed and I that's why I think the communication piece when we're working with our athletes is you know it is so important that we know how you're How you're feeling, and we can track that with what the numbers look like. I mean, I can say for me personally, last week my fatigue score was higher or lower, but I felt worse. And this week I feel great and my fatigue score is higher. So if I only ever went by that, I would be influenced maybe kind of like other wearables and stuff. Like I don't want something else telling me how I should be feeling. I think that comes internally, but then we use data and we use these numbers to kind of like triangulate everything.
1: I think that's really well said. Never coach by the number.
0: Mm-hmm. The data
1: helps us make better decisions. And a performance management chart does a really good job of that because you have this short-term responding, you're measuring the fatigue, right? You're getting this ATL response and be like, wow. And don't think about it as it's 32.8976. Mm-hmm. Like I tend to look at it with my athletes and I'll put like little areas of influence. Mm-hmm. Stop light right? That's the way I think about it. Stoplight, green, yellow, red, like Mm -hmm. it's, it's low, medium, high. And I don't try to pin that to a certain number when it's medium high. I'm super focused on how that athlete is performing and training, because Mm -hmm. if I see things starting to go South, I want to immediately implement some rest so we can drop that ATL number down because not only will that then improve their ability to train, it will actually aid their ability to adapt and get more fit.
0: Mm-hmm. So we, okay, we were talking about acute training load. Can you talk about the, um, how is the actual adaptation different from an acute standpoint versus the chronic standpoint?
1: And it's a great question. So acute is you're managing, and acute is a pattern, you said that. Like when you think about training, it's a pattern. And remember I said that, because I'm going to come back to why after I answer the chronic question. So when we think about chronic training load, Training Peaks calls that fitness. Mm. I would not call it fitness. I've argued with Training Peaks for a long time to not call it fitness. Here's why, right? I can make, go back to the rider example. If I did three hours every day, as hard as I could ride, I could accumulate a lot of training stress score and my CTL will go up in a nice linear fashion. It'll just keep going up, 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 up and up. After I do that, maybe I can get through it and withstand the fatigue. I could probably even do four to six to maybe even eight weeks of that. Mm -hmm. I'm not fitter. (laughs) Your performance, it might go up for a week or two, somewhere after week one or two, just because you're sort of getting adapted to that fatigue, performing at that fatigue level. But your fitness will actually go down. The impulse is incorrect. So don't think about chronic training load as fitness because the content matters. What chronic training load is doing is it's giving us a running accumulation of that chronic stress. So that's why we go back to this idea of stress. It's not giving us a ton of insight into the strain, but it's also not giving us a ton of insight into how that stress was created. We don't know if it was created through high intensity work or just more low intensity work. It's just a neutral score of all the training load you're putting into the system. Mm. And that's why it's tricky because you got to do all the right things for four to eight weeks before you start gaining fitness. Now, once fitness starts coming up, if you keep doing the right things, then it will go, you know, continue to grow. Your performance is the measurement of that. Like we see fitness move, we need to be able to measure that by performance this confuses people all the time. I did Monday's workout. I should be more fit Tuesday. You did Monday's workout. You're going to be more fit six weeks from now. And maybe you're four, maybe you're an eight, but it's going to take a while for that workout to fully hit. So the idea of using a chronic training load measurement, that is our ability to look into the future and project out the work we're doing, right? Understand what we're doing today and be Predictive of where it will be four, six, eight weeks from today.
0: Mm -hmm. So, this takes a lot of patience and it takes a lot of control, I think. And I don't know how many times you can say this, but it's never going to get across. Like, it's not fitness. And so, people get so attached to seeing that line go up. And they don't want to let it come down. They don't want to do the rest week or, I mean, even taking a rest day sometimes. And then, especially when you think about what happens when you start racing and that line comes, starts coming down and people start to like really panic. Well, my fitness is dropping. I'm supposed to be in high fitness now and performing. Um, you're, not,
1: you're not going to show up at the, the finish line of your local race and be like, all right, everybody, what's your CTL? Mine's one ten. I win. I win. Right. It all comes down to really performing. That's just a metric that helps us manage your training.
0: Yeah. So remind everyone how CTL is calculated. Then. So we talked about the acute training load being the, um, you know, the seven day.
1: So we look at this idea you have um, because there's a downside to this, right? What happens when you start stop training? In technical terms, it's an exponentially weighted moving average. The default setting to chronic training load is 42 days. So if you've been in your performance management chart and you see that default setting of the, the weighting and you see it be 42, that's why, because it's six weeks. We just know it's four to eight weeks. So we set the default at six weeks, assuming your average. I have some athletes that are a little faster. So I tweak that into a shorter day range. I have some that are a little slower. And I tweak that to a slower day range. And basically it is using that exponentially weighted average because it's our ability to train over time that really drives it. Imagine it like this, you know, the, uh, and not everyone will see this because you're in a podcast, you go to the gym and you have those two long ropes and you're doing that great arm and cardiovascular workout where you're swinging the ropes and the wave goes through the rope from where your hand is. And it goes all the way down to the wall. That's kind of what you're managing with each day's workout. You're making one wave. How high that wave is, how hard you did, that's training. But the reality is all those waves, you're looking at them at the wall, right? That's what we're doing here. We're pushing waves through and we're trying to see what it's, you know, from the last six weeks of waves, how much CTL have I built? That's, you know, an exponentially weighted moving average. That's what it's doing. Now, the other side is true. Exercise has a half-life. Like you do exercise, it's going to go away, right? You have the principle of reversibility. Stop exercising and you get slower. <laughs> like you get less fit. So it also has a half-life. The half-life is 90 days in the PMC chart. We're going to get, I don't want to get too technical because this really gets confusing, but it does, even after that, there's some minor weighting. So we're in the range of what typically the data, the TSS you're generating now, has the most impact on your CTL 42 days from now if you're running the default and really starts dropping off after what starts dropping off that, but is really dropped off by about 90 days. That's Mm -hmm. the wave in the rope you're pushing through, which each day is workout. Well,
0: that should help give people some level of comfort then. (laughs) It takes a little (laughs) bit longer for it to decay out of the system.
1: If you're going to come out of something too here is it, it does take a little longer to get fit that we often don't have the patience for. And, and for a lot of people, it leads to them walking away from working out. Yeah. Like you get a week or so or two in, you're like, man, this just doesn't work. And you get frustrated and you go away. But welcome to being a human being. Mm-hmm. You just have an adaptation rate. Time to adaptation is what it is. You're not going to crack that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's a genetic code we will break someday, but that is reality. Mm -hmm. Also though, in that is this idea of how you create chronic training load. Because remember, it's just training load. The content is so important. I could work hard every day. My training load could go up, but I may not be faster. So I'm gonna give you three, here's the million dollar secret of how to grow your CTL correctly, right? The first and most important thing, we're thinking about exercise over time and why CTL is an excellent measurement if you do things right. Secret number one, don't share this too much around. Be consistent. Secret number two, follow an appropriate training rhythm that doses Mm -hmm. in intensity and rest, right? This idea of different intensities and rest. And three, progress your training forward. Mm -hmm. A little harder, a little more, slowly introduced over time consistency, rhythm, and progression. Mm -hmm. So many people, because we love to think back to that one workout example, rider jumping on their bike first day, and I'm just going to crush it. I'm going to do the perfect workout at 212.2 Watts. I'm going to hold it for six minutes and 48 seconds at 309 Watts. That is so less relevant in your actual adaptation, those precisions and those perfections. Then is your ability. If you understand what I'm saying about chronic training load and how do you truly translate that into fitness and performance, the keys are consistency, rhythm, and application of stress and progression. That'll get you there.
0: Yeah, I mean, you said you used the term impulse earlier, and I think that's key, right? So we we can picture this this chart, and it's like almost a series, or it is a series of your super compensation chart. So you've yeah. got, you know, the stress adaptation, then each step is getting higher and higher. And that's what your CTL will look like. So so that what I know what we're doing in our group coaching program and what is standard is um you know you train for three weeks progressively and then you allow for adaptation. And then you come back and then the baseline is set a little bit higher. So can you talk a little bit about what um, like, what are some factors that go into uh, deciding that impulse? And does that change for different levels of athletes or where your CTL is?
1: Great question. Um, so what we're doing in Basecamp, and you can visually see this in the PMC charts over time, and I put out some examples. We have four four-week cycles. We are following a general not exact as you are seeing this week, right? Uh, three weeks on, one week off. It's not a full week off, but we rest in that that extra week. So we have four cycles. Each cycle is an individual super compensation cycle or an individual general adaptation syndrome cycle where we start out, we put you in the alarm phase, we build resistance for a couple of weeks to that new stimuli, then we rest you. Once you rest, you're a little more capable, like you've super compensated, you're stronger, fitter, faster, whatever. Technically, physiologically, you've returned to a new and better homeostasis because that's what your body wants to do. So right, we put four of those cycles together. But how do we know if you're adapting through each one of those, if you're resting enough, that short little rest? And now let's talk about the third metric in your performance management chart or PMC. There is a metric called training stress balance. Training peaks again calls it form. I really hate that they call it form. Even worse than I hate chronic training load being fitness. I got to be honest. (laughs) Here's why. Training stress balance is the relationship between your acute training load and your chronic training load. And training stress balance, if you go back, everybody listening to this podcast, go back and look at your last year's um, PMC, like the last, look at all of 2023, you you know, this year, but last year, you know what I mean? If your TSB, right, has never gotten positive or rarely ever gets positive because you're just always riding, you're always riding hard and whatever, you have a problem. Because here's what training stress balance really tells you. It's gotten this nomenclature, it's gotten this, and this is where when things hit the internet and people think they know, they break shit and it pisses me off, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Training stress balance, now it's like, are you ready to perform? Like, are you on form? Or if you have the right training stress balance for this event, that's actually can be one of its functions. But the core function was meant to ask you, are you adapting to the current cycle? Have you given yourself enough rest to adapt to the training, to the super compensation cycle you're in and training stress balance was a driver so that when we did our three weeks on, and then we took that one week off, I'm doing it in air quotes. If you're not watching this on video, we took that one week off. Really what we wanted was a handful of days for your training stress balance to be close to zero or a positive number because that gave us a quantifiable metric that you probably did rest enough in that, in this case, four-week cycle, to allow for proper adaptation. You set the, the right environment, the correct environment, that if you introduce the correct stress and strain, the correct stimuli, you created the, the, the correct impulse through consistency, rhythm, and progression, now that you went into super compensation rest mode, if you were to let your TSB be close to negative or you know like negative two still counts as positive, it's not exact right? For two to three days, that's usually the right environment for adaptation. It doesn't guarantee adaptation. <laughs> It's you know you're a human being, it's complex, but it gives you the best odds of having the right amount of rest to adapt. So TSB was a measurement of potential adaptation environment, not form, not race readiness. That's what it was created to do.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess, you know, to that point, as a coach, you would look back on an athlete's training history to see, look at their past performances and, and take note of what was their training stress, stress balance when they had those performances, right. And learning the athlete that way.
1: You know, but even more deep, when you all go look back and I had this happen like three days ago, somebody had sent us a message, which we always ask you to post your message in our Facebook group and we'll help. Um, Private messages can be tough. I looked at their training and for about four or five months, they've been racing on Zwift two to three times a week. Mm -hmm. And that's a high intensity experience. So you tend to get in your brain. Well, I need to train high intensity to be ready. So they're training their TSB hasn't been below or better than like negative seven in five straight months. So you're doing work, but you're not resting these key periods. So you're adapting to the work. So you're really not getting faster, which was exactly this person's question. And I could say you didn't set the environment for, you just did a lot of work. You never set the environment for adaptation. And I gave them a measurable metric in the performance management chart to sort of prove it.
0: Yeah. So that kind of leads into my next question. When we think about the training continuum, so you've got your one day or maybe you're training like one or two days a week. So you're not training enough to actually develop any fitness or, or progression. But let's say you are, let's say you're training and you're now in that acute overload and then you keep training and you know the fatigue keeps stacking up week after week and you're in week three or four like we were um, in our program now and people are in that functional overreach. So we're pushing you to do work, you're feeling the fatigue, but we're still training before we rest what's that what is that line and how do you use these metrics to because for people who are used to this living in that you know when we go a step further into that non-functional overreaching how are you using these metrics to to convince an athlete that you're non-functional you need to step back is it that tsb that hasn't gone
1: Mm -hmm. positive? yeah Yeah, to me, I look at TSB. Like if you want to get highly technical, let's answer it at a highly technical answer because we do have some people pretty advanced listening and hopefully this will trickle down. When I look at TSB, I also compare it to performance, right? But I compare it to performance at four weeks out, six weeks out and eight weeks out from the select point I'm looking at the TSB. So I know you've been doing training, right? So you already have some exponentially weighted moving average. But I would expect to see improved performance two, four, six, or eight. It depends on what you're doing. For most, like I train with a lot of high, uh, a lot of high CTL athletes. They're training in the one thirty to one sixty-five CTL range. So for them, I'm looking out from when their TSB is here about two to four weeks is really because as you get more fit, you actually you adapt less. The gains get to be less, but faster. So I'm always looking at, and if I can see a pattern of when TSB is a certain number. Two to four weeks later, performance will improve. If I see that pattern, that's that individual's pattern. Again, it's not a number. You, each, each human being is unique, but you are patternistic. Mm-hmm. Like you tend to, you know, your rate of adaptation is going to be the same. It's based on a couple of things. And yes, you don't sleep well, you don't fuel well, you'll slow that down acutely. But chronically, your body's pretty good to getting back to its own pattern. Like it's mm-hmm. genetic, it's the quality of your immune system. It's other things that are driving that response. So yeah, you don't sleep and eat, you won't adapt as much, but mm-hmm. the timing will tend to stay sort of in the same range. It could be impacted a little, but not as much as you would think.
0: Yeah, it was, it's was. it been interesting having people look at you know the last two to three years let's say or even the last year of their performance manager chart and they see just like this kind of flat blue line (laughs) with lots of (laughs) big pink um spikes and maybe you know they're not even paying attention to the yellow line or the the tsb but i think that's you know you have the time to do the training if you're not taking advantage of doing it in an intentional manner like you said consistency, rhythm and progression and really building in that impulse with the rest and recovery as well. I mean, I feel that's like a huge game changer for an athlete.
1: Well, what it does, right. Think about it this way. It's the banks of the river of proper training. Like it doesn't, it's not defining content. You might choose to do, you know, your harder days might be 10 times one minute at max. And somebody else's harder days might be three times 20 minutes sweet spot because you're doing different things. You're doing other stuff. But what the PMC does is it gives us immediate insight. Have you been consistent? Are you following a good rhythm? And are you progressing? We actually can see the progression. Some of the specificity gets a little hard to see, but we can see it being right. When you see a good P, I I can know one immediately. Like you'll see this saw to, CTL never goes up linear and it doesn't stay flat. It sawtooths its way up three weeks mm-hmm. on one week off goes down a little bit. Three weeks on goes up for three weeks, one week off. ATL mm-hmm. follows the same pattern, but more peaky because it's more extreme. Mm-hmm. You're pushing. If you see that, that is the best environment for adaptation. Again, it you could be doing the wrong work. That's why you want professional guidance from people who know what they're doing. But it is the right application of stress load into the system. Mm-hmm. And that's why consistency, rhythm, like and progression, that's so important in making mm-hmm. it happen. That's what you will see. I can absolutely predict with athletes that I'm working on one-on-one, like, changes based on how many sawtooths they'll go through like each training cycle i know when things will start moving for them i know when we should expect to be coming on form there's other measurements you can apply but training load here's the thing with training load and, and you're going to get this question a lot so i'm and i'm on to answering unasked questions because i've actually seen it a couple of times since people watch the nerdcast the long one i did on this should i train more the higher your ctl assuming your training is reasonably good training, which I, I'm going to say ours is, um, the higher you CTL, the deeper your ad- adaptation. Mm-hmm. So if you want to change more, like I want to improve more, reality is you need a higher training load. It's the absolute driver. And I know people say, well, no, no, we can do some more intensity and I can be a time crunched athlete and get away with it. No, you can't. I got news for you. <laughs> you might be a time crunch athlete because it's all you can do, in which case accept that and be like, that's okay. But if you want to make a 20% increase in FTP or a 10% increase in FTP, you're not going to do it time crunching down and finding magic workouts and stuff like that. Depth of adaptation is driven by your chronic training load when it's applied correctly, meaning you've built mm-hmm. it in the correct fashion. You know, the reality is the good downside of endurance sport is it takes time you have to have commitment and training time there is no shortcut you gotta you want to make big change it takes a bigger chunk of work
0: yeah I mean you actually sort of did just answer three of the questions in one (laughs) there are a lot of questions about that because so many (laughs) people are you know looking for that secret shortcut or whatever you want to call it um well let's get into questions
1: yeah yeah sorry that was a A deeper dive. And the thing here too, just closing on the, it's what I love about it. It's simple and it's complex. Mm -hmm. And actually in between simple and complex is where we get lost in overthinking, Mm -hmm. right? Because maybe we don't fully understand its complexity and we don't want to fully understand its simplicity. So we overthink, we overmanage it. Don't do that. If your little blue line is going forward, it has a little bit of sawtooth look and you're appropriately taking rests and letting your TSB come positive, sort of positive, positive every uh, four weeks-ish, you're going to be in a pretty good spot. Get that right, right? Don't overthink it beyond that. If you then want to learn the whole boat and get complicated, we can go there. Maybe we'll do an advanced webinar on it in January, February, but don't get caught in between and overthink it.
0: Yeah, that's really, really good advice. Okay, um, well, speaking of overthinking, let's see. I, I'm gonna probably, Tim, I'm probably just gonna ask you most of these questions cause you are like the guy here, so. Cause
1: I'm all jacked up on caffeine and ready to answer. <laughs> okay, all right. Never <laughs> just like, I can't slow this guy down today.
0: <laughs> so no, that's is great. <laughs> um, all right, does TSB increasing paint a correct and whole image of overall strain when other metrics like heart rate, sleep, and appetite have not changed?
1: No. So in this idea, um, there is no one metric. Your ability, when we think about, and we get, we've been getting this question about AI and advanced analytics and stuff like that. When we think about what is advanced analytics, as we improve our analytic capability through technology, what you're really doing in its most simplest terms, right? We're not building little terminators. What we're really doing is taking multifaceted data points and we're blending them into a usable approach and metric, like boiling it all down to one number or one answer or one system. And that is a really great answer. And when we get to the point that all of these data points can be compiled down very easily using software or AI or whatever you want to call it, we'll be in a good spot. Because the answer is, it is a little bit all of the above. Like all those metrics will not always align perfectly, but I guarantee if you're tracking them all, you will notice patterns and it's those patterns like wow four to five are aligning seven out of nine are aligning and it's usually the same ones and i I have these two things like some people and we see this all the time in our group my heart rate was too high or my heart rate zones didn't line up or my heart rate's too low that's great you may have some things that your heart rate just your heart is a little different you might have a smaller uh, stroke volume you might have uh, a more of a, what I call the hummingbird heart rate, right? It's just a naturally higher with a higher maximum than's typical for your age. That's okay. That's why we, if we can gather a pool of those metrics, but to be honest with you, and I'll close on this one, the first metric is learn to listen to yourself. I said it in today's group workout. So I'm going to say it again. Now, the problem is we have two things competing in our mind right how we see training and exercise and performance we have our true feelings and we have our ego feelings Mm -hmm. our ego feelings is when our ego answers the question first and says yeah i'm kind of tired but i can do more (laughs) like let's do more i got a little more in me because more is more and i'm going to be good and i don't want anybody to think i'm soft and our true feeling feelings are you know I could probably do a little more, but this feels right today. I should just listen to this, <laughs> that little battle going on in your head every day. Push that ego feeling thing out, use it in races. That's great. But otherwise not push it out there whenever you're listening to that ego feeling. So first just trust your feelings, trust them overall. There was uh, somebody posted on Facebook yesterday saying, I was just too tired to hit yesterday's workout. What should I do? Pat yourself on the back. <laughs> Here's my answer. You listened to yourself. You heard what your body was saying. And instead of trying to make your ego answer, you just listened and did the right thing. Now, when you do that, look at all the data, see if there's a pattern, bring it all together, use all those together to make your decision.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially when we're thinking of this chart and like the timeline of, you know, even the acute timeline and especially the chronic timeline, like, Backing off for a day because you listen to your body because you were tired, and so maybe you rode ten watts lower or maybe you cut your workout by fifteen minutes, is not a big deal. It's actually probably better for you in the short and long term. What you know, maybe you missed some sleep or maybe other stuff is stressing out. But we are like human beings with lives and other, so many other variables that will impact how you feel and. How you. Excuse me. All right. Can you include other sports in your performance manager chart to see how they are affecting your training load?
1: I do not. um, Because the reality is the PMC is built on a metabolic uh, approach to oversimplify it. And things like strength training or dog walking or other stuff don't play into that very well. Now, that being said, those things, let's say strength training does create fatigue. So what I do for strength training is I apply one number, I don't care what your heart rate is or what your Garmin watch says or anything like that. I apply one number. So it does have a representation in the ATL. Mm -hmm. So like if you're doing an Occam's program, I'm using, depending on which program you're doing, 25 to 35 points. And then I just simply apply the same number across the board. Like every time I see it, that's the number applied. So that I am taking into account some degree in fatigue, but I'm not really letting it Uh, push your ctl up higher than it should be because again ctl is a metabolic scoring
0: yep if you've reached your max training time does it make sense to maintain ctl this is a good question
1: yeah that's a really good question yes and no it makes like again a complex answer but you know our audience is learning more and we're coming across There are two impacts when we think about peak performance. Again, that goal, that training journey, when we come to the top, how high that CTL is and when you arrived there. So once you arrive at a peak CTL, right? Once you're growing or ramping into that peak CTL, let's say because you're time limited, your CTL cap is going to be 75. And I'm just picking a number. If you get to CTL, 75, and you sit at 75 for more than I don't know, and it's not an exact science six to 10 weeks, maybe four to eight weeks, depends on who you are. You're going to stagnate and it will probably have negative impacts on your training. For timed athletes, I will get up to that, I'll look at what their peak events are, what they want to do, stuff like that. I will get up to that platform, but I don't want to stay there more than 10 weeks and usually a little shorter than that, then actually I'll let, I'll purposely drop off and then do the rebuilding ramp rate up into the next event. Now, let's just say like you're time-lapped and you wanna get it perfect. You wanna hit that peak CTL about two, maybe three weeks before your event. You want that ramping load, the, the little blue line going up. For Depending on where you're at, let's call it anywhere for six to four weeks into that period. Because you have, in my term, you have a fitness and performance momentum. Mm-hmm. And it also is psychological this way. Mm-hmm. you know, you start building your training, right? And a lot of you are actually going to go, you're going through it right now, or you're really going to go through it next cycle where stuff starts coming together. And like, you're jumping on the trainer, you're like, holy crap, I'm strong. <laughs> like, this is good, right? And the momentum's building and you're doing right. That all has a very positive physiological and psychological. It's, it's real, that's not fake. And if you can carry that into your event and event peak, it's a little extra
0: boost. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really good. I, you know, I think I would put myself in this category too, as far as like time limited and, and when you think about events and where you want to be, it's, it's hard to let what little bit of CTL you've (laughs) been able to grow drop. but you think about how CTL is even calculated and it's based on duration and intensity. So if you're capped at 10 hours a week, there's only so much intensity you can do in there. And then you think about the specificity of how you're training for, you know, an endurance event, let's say you need some endurance, but, so there's a lot of balancing that goes in there. And at some point you just have to be okay with, all right, if I want a peak performance, I still have to follow the, the big, you know, the overall guidelines where I do want to peak my CTL and then kind of taper in and sharpen up before a peak. Um, and it just is what it is. Agreed. So for masters athletes, so over 60, this um, question is for ATL and CTL constants. What do you recommend?
1: I really don't change them that much, to be honest with you right up front. It has less impact. If you actually do it, play with it and leave it for a couple of days, it has much less impact. And we always knew because actually because of the half-life the exponentially weighted move and average that the way it's all built, it doesn't impact as much as you think. Masters athletes will tend to maintain their acute response a little longer. So mm-hmm. you, you can make that longer. Like, so you better project the fatigue into the systems. And I will do that at times. It depends on the athlete. Um, but I rarely ever change chronic training load by age. Like I've, I, I can, do enough data research that if I'm going to change it, it's really just based on the data, not your age.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I have an, I have a professional athlete who takes eight weeks to respond to everything. I mean, it just is what it is. Right. And he's crazy strong He's an FTP that would shock you, but still he needs eight weeks of work before he really starts responding. So I got to be really ahead of the game. I have to, you know, I use a longer um, constant for him because I really got to think out, like, what am I doing today? Because I'm like, today's workout, I'm thinking, well, eight weeks from today, here's what's going to happen. But that's what you do. That's, and it's not based on his age or capable. It's just, it is, it's genetic. Some of it is age. It's just how he responds to stimuli. And it's just what it takes. It frustrates him because he gets mm-hmm. down about the slope. But then once he gets up all enrolling rolling and it's going great, then he's happy. It's just, you know, so I might tweak it for those reasons, but I don't tweak CTL for age. I find the, the best pattern for you.
0: all right um, a couple well sort of a math question is tss strain strain (laughs) proportional to stress squared question mark
1: um no but yes um when we think about you have to think about how you're applying this right the idea it's better off understanding i'll simplify the math the question goes back to two key things Like, why do we use normalized power to determine training stress score versus average power? So average power is, um, like if I rode my bike for an hour and I did 200 Watts, that was the average power, right? That's 200 Watts for that hour. And that's what is like, you use all these exercise machines, or if you use training peaks, right, that's kilocalories, that's work really. And you can translate Physiological work kilojoules, Um, but you can translate that into kilocalories also. But that's got a real problem. Like this is why calorie counters like that can be really wrong. I could get that same 200 watt average by riding my bike exactly at 200 watts for that hour and get a 200 watt average, or I can go 400 watts for a minute and then go zero watts for a minute and go 400 watts for a minute and then zero watts for a minute, right? And just keep going up and down, and I get the same 200 watt average. I was looking at work or kilocalories, it would give me me the same work and kilocalories for that time range, whether I did it the up or down way or the flat way. But that doesn't represent the way your body works very well, (laughs) because the reality is the up and down way takes a lot more metabolic activity to create that. You have a higher neuromuscular strain, right? You actually have higher muscular activation. You're going anaerobic. You're burning different fuels. There's a whole bunch of things that are happening there. And you're simply pushing momentum up in the bike, right? You're just working against other forces. So it takes more. So that is why we defined normalized power. We needed something that better represented the stochastic nature of riding a bike up and down and heavy, right? So we devised normalized power. Normalized power was created by Dr. Andy Coggin. You know, he was the guy who drove it, but it was done as a group think. And we based it on VO2 kinetics, the time of heart rate uptake. Because we didn't have a lot better idea at the time, you know, the, everybody thinks there was such like deep, deep science, and there was. There was time in the lab, there was validation of things, but these were concepts. When when Coggin was leading this, and 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 a group of about I don't know, there's like twenty or thirty people on the wattage list, all working on this. Um, it was groupthink. It was uh, there wasn't like things that you can compare it against. We were creating this stuff out of the blue, so. Really, we just came, the idea of normalized power, we knew there was this trailing weighted average we needed to use. How long would that be? What would happen? And we're like, oh, let's use VO2 kinetics and use that, let's pin that at 30 seconds. And when we started doing that, and then we'd go back and we had a, a bunch of testers and they would ride up and down rods and we'd be like, how does that feel? We'd expect them to say nine, they'd say nine, we'd record that and be like, okay. And then we eventually found the numbers that worked the best. So it's a little bit of science, a little bit applied learning, right, and a little bit of uh, back of the napkin, and it, and but we kept coming back and and validating because it's not a perfect science; it's an imperfect science. But still, that's why we're quantifying stress. So when you look at what powers we raised to, or a little bit of uh, some of the specialty formulas, it really was an iterative function. Everything based off that. Everything iterated off that. How we made it work so maybe not the answer everybody wanted like it's this super mathematical physiological model we just be and it's like somebody was talking about rays to you know because you're literally talking about weighting and stuff like that and and exponential um the exact number is not four it's 0.38 like i can remember that far back everybody now rounds it to four so it's actually been changed from the original days but That's okay. Like FTP is not a perfect science, nor is testing lactate in the lab, right? It's an estimate of a transition point of your body. And then metrics based off that are still an estimate. And we think these little perfections are going to change. It doesn't, it makes like a point or two different. And when you actually play with all the options, you're like, wow, we just spent eight months experimenting with something that gave me seven more TSS points for a week. Like, does it really matter? It's spheres of influence, not precision and
0: the point oh man i think we could probably extend this podcast for another hour based off of that
1: yeah that's and i think it someday we need to tackle that because yeah that's what people yeah. need to really understand about training and it's that's why different. when you talk about ai coaching you're gonna have a really hard time look ai coaching is going to knock every bad coach out of the business in the next three years but I tell you right now if coaches are out there just knocking off plans, not learning, not, and I've been saying this, I shared my USAC presentation in 19 or 2017. And I told coaches in that room in the next five years, if you don't up your game, you will be replaced by the Terminator. <laughs> if you were at that session, you remember me saying it. And it's literally, I I'm, I'm, was a year or two early, but it's now starting to happen. Good coaches. AI is, a long way away from replacing because everything we're talking about here.
0: Yeah. All right, I have one more question. And I think you have a chart that shows this, um, but what are normal CTL variations for new mid-range and experienced riders?
1: What do you mean by variations? What do you think that question means?
0: I don't know. So I, I'm thinking two different things maybe. The chart I'm thinking of is you have, um, based on training maturity, like yep. what um, what are, I guess, average, where does CTL fall in the different ranges? So um, maybe like up to 70 and then 70 to 90 something. And then you have like a hundred plus. I'm trying to remember.
1: I think like, understand that the main driver is time, duration yep. of training, right? So it depends on your, you could be brand new and training 15 hours a week and your CTL will be hundred in that range. I think what we see in variations, right? Here's a simple thought if you're new or if you're experienced. Think, don't think about it as big like how high or what the the, the actual number is. Think about it as change because that's exactly what training in is. It's creating change. Mm-hmm. You're doing something different, right like Your body's in a homeostasis kind of happy sitting on the couch doing what it's doing. So you break that homeostasis by adding stress and and strain and stimuli. And then you hope it gets some new homeostasis, right? It keeps growing. Um, You want to, like in an ideal training situation, if you're newer to the sport, you want to be increasing your CTL two to four points a week in non-rest weeks. So if you were 40 on Sunday night, you want to be 42 the next Sunday night, 44, maybe 45 the next Sunday night. It's not exactly perfect. Then 47 the next Sunday night, but then it's time to rest. It's going to go back down to 45 and Mm -hmm. then two, two ramp rate is the, is more important than the, the actually targeting a number, how quickly you get to that number, because if your ramp rates too high, you won't be adapting because you're taking on stimuli too quickly. Um, and your body's overwhelmed, so it can't adapt. If you take it on too slowly, you're leaving a lot on the table, like you could be adapting quicker and going. So you want that. So a new athlete, two to three TSS, your CTL goes up two to three TSS per day. Measure it every Sunday night. That's a great way to look at it. I'm going to teach that. We'll teach this in cycle one review. So you'll learn how to do this. A more mature athlete can handle four to six, Like, is there a range? Like you've been training seriously for a couple of years. You start turning it on. You can even maybe go to four to seven. It depends on your experience because you're more efficient. You've trained, your body's more prepared to deal with the higher uptake of training load. Look at each Sunday night and you can go five is a good number. Four is a really four to five is what I would target, particularly like for me, I'm looking for me at four to five in most time ranges personally, because I'm older now and I can't take much more or I get things get risky if I go much faster. So that uptake range, two to three for newer athletes, four to six for more experienced athletes, make sure you're resting in the appropriate, it's not always going up, you have to rest. That's a pretty good target.
0: Yeah, it also makes me think of, um, I don't remember what episode it was that we did on our, um, our podcast about the transition and kind of, you know, unloading all the chronic fatigue from the season and letting your CTL drop. I know we addressed this then and kind of touched on what it looks like for different levels of athlete. You know, how, how much have you been training? How high is your CTL? But um, so listen to that if you haven't already, because there are some differences when it comes to taking time off in between seasons.
1: Yeah. If you're well rested and you're coming back, you can go a little faster than that.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's all of them.
1: All right, we got through it.
0: We did. Um, thank you so much. That was enlightening and always very, very exciting to listen to. So thank you. Um, well, thanks all of you for listening. For more coaching and nutrition content and information on all our coaching programs, visit us at joinbasecamp.com. Our mission at Basecamp is to empower you, the athlete, and to educate you and provide a training and learning community for the season racer and newer athlete newer rider alike. Um, For everyone in our winter uh, training community, we will continue these discussions in more detail in our forums, and we will see you back with another episode next time. Happy holidays.
1: See you, everyone. Enjoy the holidays.